Welcome to TroCast, the flagship podcast of Little Cross Tribune. I am Jordan Ryan, city government reporter, and I'm here for our third installment of our series with city planner Jason Gilman. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Um, we're going to talk about mixed use today. That's been sort of, like, I don't want to call it a buzzword, but it's been a focus of the city and community as a whole for the past several years at least. Can you tell me a little, like, first just tell me what it means. What is mixed-use development? Mixed-use is really uh, somewhat of a throwback to er early America and the way we built cities and towns. And if you look at maybe an old TV show uh, showing a western town, for instance, Mm -hmm. you, you would see people living in close proximity to services, you know, whether it be the mercantile or the, uh, you know, hotels and services that, you know, may have been in the, in the city. In the 1920s, uh, the uh, uh, Supreme Court made a decision uh, to allow cities to use police power to enact zoning codes, and there was a strong uh, desire to separate land uses because of the issues of the day, the the nuisances that were associated with industry, like smokestack industry or slaughterhouses or things that were not really uh, very pleasant to live around. So Mm -hmm. we started to separate all these uses in cities, and people refer to that as Euclidean zoning because that was the name of the first zoning Supreme Court case, the village of Euclid uh, zoning case. I thought Um, it had something to do with... Uh, geometry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but this gets us back to really looking at, you know, the intuitive way people want to live. And what's really fun is we've engaged school children, like Lewis Kuhlman in our office every every year has planning week with the middle school students, and we asked them, like mm-hmm. on the Kmart site this last year, if you could redesign this space, how would you do it? And oftentimes what we find is this very intuitive response is that is mixed use, you know, that we should have housing close to the bakery or housing close to the grocery store, whatever it may be. Um, so that that's kind of what it, what it's about. But I, it's also about economics. So um, a great way to think of the city uh, from an economic standpoint is looking at the real estate as kind of like a big box. And the horizontal dimensions are the landscape of the city minus floodplains, environmental features, streets, parks, and other non-development areas. The vertical dimension is typically limited to zoning or airport height restrictions, you know, where we can't go too high. The wider the box gets, typically the higher the cost of services because we're sending that snow plow out farther, we're sending the garbage truck out farther, we've got to repair more miles of streets and so forth. Okay, sure. The higher the box gets, the easier it is for the public to cover the cost of services because we're getting more value per lineal foot of curb and gutter or street, mm-hmm. if you will. And mixed use basically promotes better utilization of real estate. So you can have uses that are um, stacked, you know, uh, housing, retail, services, coffee shops, fitness centers, you know, and, and a variety of sure, other things. Sure, it's a matter of growing up instead of out. Yeah, mixed use can also occur horizontally, but uh, in an urban center, we oftentimes look at it as a vertical mm-hmm. proposition. Why mixed use over that uh, Euclidean zoning? Some of the drawbacks are that it segregates land uses, yeah. and you know while it made sense at the time, why does it not make sense now? 
Right. Well, one of the things that I think people are starting to recognize is the high cost of uh, auto-centric planning, um, because over time we've consolidated our big grocery stores, we've consolidated our big uh, convenience stores, things like that, which means mm -hmm. that you have to hop in your car, drive, there's got to be a big parking lot, and then you, you can get out and shop and then get back in your car and go home. And I think people are starting to recognize that there's a high price for that, not just social price, you know, mm -hmm. because you have to own a car and, and, you know, you don't have access to fresh food if you don't live close by a grocer. Mm -hmm. um, and you can look back at the 1950s and, you know, how grocery stores have changed over time. You know, we used yeah. to have the small super values, Red Owls, um, mm -hmm. IGAs, and so forth uh, that uh, were more scattered. And now we've got the big mega stores, you know, and, and mm -hmm. the big parking lot. Uh, I think people are also recognizing the, the environmental cost of that, you know, that when you have consolidation, there is a, a, a social inequity that occurs because people that have access to vehicles and can get to those mm -hmm. stores are advantaged uh, over those that may be vehicle-less or don't have access to transit, and, uh, and then maybe the food choices in their neighborhoods are very slim, you know. So, uh, so that's an issue, um, and then just the the auto centric uh, type of uh, uh, landscape that Euclidean zoning creates, of course, is also a pollute a pollution uh, mm -hmm. issue. You know, because more cars on the road, more emissions, and so forth. And then on the other side, you have to have parking lots, which are the least efficient use of space. Ever. Right, right. <laughs> if if anybody really wants to see how. Uh, bad parking lots can be for the environment go to a stormwater outfall that actually drains an area where you have a lot of big box retail and mm -hmm. you'll see uh, a terrible mess you know of cigarette butts and oil mm -hmm. and other things that wash off of those parking lots so mm -hmm. yeah they're they're not a great uh, um, uh, environmental feature uh, and even more so now with uh, some of the strange weather patterns we're seeing with freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw, and then mm -hmm. we're putting more and more chemicals and salt on these pavements, which also yeah. drain, drain off into and can leach into the water supply. So the, those, uh, so the, the mixed use does mitigate that to a certain extent because it gives people more of a neighborhood feel. And we, we know it when we see it. Most people have been to environments like that, whether it's on vacation or places they've lived. You know, I think of environments like uh, uh, the Brady Street District in, in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, within walkable distance to a lot of residential density, you have all kinds of things that you can walk to and, and enjoy. Um, yeah, like last year I went, went on vacation to Charleston, South Carolina. And where we stayed, it was a residential street, but there was a corner store a block in either direction, and just less than a mile away, you could walk to base like a little retail area where they had restaurants and stores and a little bit of everything. And, you know, there's some places you could get that in lacrosse, but you certainly can't get it where I live. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a... Um yeah, and, and I think that's true of uh, many cities, you know, that we've, uh, Euclidean zoning and then uh, the consolidation of uh, uh, retail um, mm -hmm. has created a much more autocentric uh, type of environment. Mm -hmm. So what, uh, what does mixed use 
development offer the people of La Crosse? Like, why is it good for people who live here? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I'm going to go back to triple bottom line economics mm -hmm. because uh, on the social side, it can offer people, like, like, let's say you live in an apartment above a coffee shop. It offers you a place to not be isolated. You know, it offers you a place to go and converse with neighbors or colleagues or, or whatever. Uh, so socially, mixed use tends to be more vibrant. And you can contrast that with uh, um, a, a great way to think of it is uh, some of the TV shows we've enjoyed over the years. Like think of uh, Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. You know, where they're walking down on the street in, in the city and they have access to all that social activity in stores. And then think of a, mm -hmm. a TV show like I Love Lucy, you know, mm -hmm. or one of the ones, you know, the, the ones that came out uh, during mm -hmm. the height of uh, suburbia and that sort of development. Those TV yeah. shows were almost entirely within the living room or kitchen of those homes, you know. Yeah. So it's a, it's a different mindset in terms of what it mm -hmm. does for us socially. Economically, it makes better use of real estate. So, and not just private real estate investment, but public real estate investment too. So right now our fire chief is looking mm -hmm. for ways to create a new fire station or several new fire stations that actually have private investment above them or next to them so mm -hmm. that we don't have a single story tax exempt use, but we actually have real estate that's producing tax income and can help us pay for services even with a fire station. And that model's been done around the country and it's actually very successful. It's similar, but uh, not exactly the same. There's a, you know, the city owned parking garage right next door the, to the Tribune on Pine Street. It sort of dealt with, was developed that same way where there is the non-taxable, non-taxable parking ramp use, but then there's also commercial space that Right. You know, people can move into, like, where the hair salon is and all that. Yeah. And then environmentally, I mean, I think if you think of, uh, uh, think of a, a garbage truck uh, serving a uh, 100 people that are all uh, spread out on a, on a roadway mm -hmm. versus 100 people that are actually in a stacked mixed-use building, that garbage truck needs to make one stop to serve 100 people in the mixed-use building where it may need to drive a half mile and make multiple stops to collect garbage from people that are, you know, spread out. Mm -hmm. So environmentally, there's a, a, an advantage to uh, vertical mixed use in cities as well. And it also seems like there's a cultural benefit. Like you get, like you get more diversity of thought and like people, you know, when they socialize, they interact a little bit more. And a large part of, you know, there's been a, been a push lately to really support the arts in lacrosse and have that be a part of the Riverside North project and even the lacrosse center renovation. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I I think um and for whatever reason, you know, for the last 30 years, uh, there, there has been a, a, a gravitation of uh, young people to move to the suburban areas and to have the large house in the suburban area. Uh, I can't tell you how happy I am that I moved into the city because I'm experiencing that, you know, that phenomena that uh, I, I don't feel like, you know, I feel like I've got great access to all kinds of very vibrant cultural things. And, you know, like my, my wife and I this morning at 7 o'clock were at a coffee shop downtown, and mm -hmm. we really enjoyed uh, the early morning uh, environment downtown, and, and uh, she went off to work and I went off to work. 
Yeah. When, you're, when you're out in suburbia, it's different. You know, you, you yeah, don't, you're, yeah, you're somewhat disconnected. You do your, your typical morning routine and off to work you go. But here it's very convenient to access all kinds of things, music, arts, culture, you know, uh, social activities and, and uh, mm -hmm. that third place that oftentimes planners talk about that, you know, where we like to go and relax and maybe read a book. Yeah, that, that social aspect seems to, you know, not only benefit individuals, but the community as a whole. Like, people get together and they, you know, they talk about issues in their area and they get a little bit more involved and then you see things like neighborhood associations that pop up and go to city government meetings to advocate for positive changes. Yeah, like. yeah, good point. I mean, I, you're, you're absolutely right. I think uh, urban mixed-use environments tend to create more opportunities for civic engagement. And and uh, outside of just the formal hearing process, you'll, you, you can go to a coffee shop in the morning in, in the city and you can hear people talking about issues and things in the city, which is a very positive thing. It, uh, we need that. And there was actually an author named Robert Putnam that wrote a book called Bowling Alone year, uh, years ago. I think it's maybe 25, 30 years old now. But mm -hmm. he, uh, uh, the prophecy of the book was that people were going to have homes that were so... Uh, uh, full of stimulus, you know, like our, our HDTVs and our, uh, you know, uh, internet mm -hmm. connections and sure. everything that we wouldn't need to leave the house. And he was lamenting that, you know, people would become more and more uh, or less and less engaged, you know, and mm -hmm. they would they would leave civic organizations and things because they had all the stimulus in their, ho in their house. And to a certain extent, I think that uh, happened to, yeah. to a certain segment of the population. But it's it's it, the the encouraging thing is uh, how vibrant our downtown is now. I mean, and that's a mixed use environment, you know, where people can uh, converse and be civically engaged in in their community. And part of the mixed use is, you know, not just the commercial residential together, but there's also been a focus, at least when you're talking about, um, like the Riverside North development, on natural resources and you know getting people out and enjoying things like walking trails and you know walking through the wetlands and looking at the river and why is that something that is included in the city's plans the community's plans right well um this sort of gets to that uh, idea of a, a, a virtuous cycle that some planners talk about or, or a self-sustaining environment, you know, where uh, the building uh, and its placement actually helps contribute to uh, a more sustainable city, you know, where uh, there isn't a high price to be paid environmentally for the way the building is designed and, and that people have access to food and uh, recreation, walking trails, uh, nature appreciation, which is, uh, you know, be, being able to immerse yourself in a quiet environment to meditate and get away from work and stress, you know, and things like that. Uh, but that, that interface between the human built environment and the natural environment can be a great uh, aspect of mixed use development because it, it gives people you know, that access to uh, um, nature-based education and, and inspiration and 
so yeah, I think the I think mixed use development in the context of being sensitive to environmental mm -hmm. uh, systems and developing it in such a way that it is somewhat self-sustaining and doesn't have a bigger impact on the environment is very important and certainly one of the goals that we strive for. Is that is that part of you know your thought when you're talking about you know growing the city's population and you know, accommodating people coming into La Crosse. I know one of the big things that lo local businesses have been concerned about is, you know, bringing new people to La Crosse to work for them and getting them to stay here. Is st stuff like natural resources things that you look at when you are figuring out a plan to uh, help area businesses with employee retention? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you asked that question because uh, when you when you look at a lot of the studies that have been done as to why people move to a cert certain area and they, they want to uh, invest in years of their life in that area, you can usually point to three things. Economic security, which means that they're not going to be stressed out living paycheck by paycheck and that sort of thing. Social security, which means they have friends, family, or they can they can make friends. You know, there's a, there there is access to social activity, and then environmental security, which is clean air, clean water, clean environment. Uh, they're not living in a polluted uh, type of environment. Uh, so, giving people those things uh, helps employers leverage attracting attracting talent and then retaining mm -hmm. that talent because you have a great life, right? If you if you have mm -hmm economic security, environmental security, yeah. and social security. I mean, that's um, what people look for. All right. So I just have one last question for you. How do you manage to balance all of these issues, you know, your quadruple bottom line of social issues, economic issues, environmental issues, cultural issues? How do you manage to do all of this while still coming up with a workable vision for the city? Well, it's a, it's a good question, and I, I would go back to the whole basis of plans. We have mm -hmm. to trust in the judgment of our public because mm -hmm. our public, when they create visions, know intuitively that they want those things. They want economic security, they want environmental security, and they want social security. So when we trust in their judgment and you know their vision for the future of the city, which is embodied in the plans that we uh, look to implement, mm -hmm. uh, we can rest assured that we're doing the right thing for the community. Um, so that, that's really how we do it, is we just make sure that, uh, that we're working on things that tie back to the public's vision of the city. Yeah, and that, that's basically what city planning is all about. All right. Well, thank you for listening, and thank you, Jason, for coming and talking to us about this. I know it can be a pretty, you know, pretty big and complicated issue, so I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you.